another edition of On the Road with Legal Talk Network. This is Emma Ramey Zlodich, and I'm the host for this episode, which is being recorded on location at ABA Tech Show 2024 in Chicago, Illinois. Joining me now, I have two guests. Uh, firstly, we have Charity Anastasio. Charity, would you like to introduce yourself? So I'm Charity Anastasio. I'm practicing ethics counsel at the American Immigration Lawyers Association, which means I'm Sort of like 17,000 lawyers is outsourced ethics counsel. And, and we also have Micah Bookdahl. Micah, would you like to tell us a little bit about yourself? Sure. Um, i based right outside of Philadelphia. Uh, I'm an ethics attorney in a very small niche. Uh, I handle just marketing, advertising, and solicitation issues for a number of law firms across the country. You both have amazing experience in talking about this subject specifically. So I have quite a few questions for you both and we could just jump into it. Uh, in talking about multi-jurisdictional rules, what combination of forces and are pushing for the expansion of multi-jurisdictional practice? So, you know, there are a whole bunch of outfits, I'll say, out there that have been pushing for changes to 5.5 for a number of years. One, uh, an organization I'm a member of, the Association of Professional Responsibility Lawyers, April, um, which uh, put put out a report a couple of years ago, again, trying to change 5.5 and kind of loosen the rules from an MSJ standpoint. And then the ABA has a working group now that's trying to, again, do the same thing. So you have these sort of national organizations that uh, would like to see 5.5 changed uh, and kind of loosened to make it more of a, a national license. But of course, you're leaving out my favorite one, which is modernization. The real force I think that is pushing us towards this is that the world has become global and people realize that they can work from anywhere and they can still be present in a virtual capacity. And so the idea that where you're practicing law is where your tush is sitting is kind of preposterous, don't you think? Uh, yeah. but. Uh, uh I'll, let me throw this out there because this was so fascinating. I don't know if you saw this. We'll talk about this in our program tomorrow. But um, uh, Missouri, did you see the Missouri informal opinion that they issued like last week? What? Um, basically <laughs> saying that if you are licensed, you know, that you could be licensed in one state, mm -hmm. but if you're sitting in Missouri doing the work, you're engaged in the unauthorized practice of law because you're not licensed in Missouri. Um, and so there, it's like, again, those types of ridiculous things that are still being, in 2024, that's still an opinion that's being issued at, at the same time that we're talking about expansion based on virtual law practices and competition and just the sort of the post-COVID environment, all of those things that are kind of rolled into one. But there's other jurisdictions that have the other perspective, like Georgia, right? They came up with the opposite opinion. No, exactly. I mean, I mean, like, the opposite opinion is the right opinion when it comes to that particular conversation. Thank you. Um, I agree. Yeah, but, <laughs> but you know, like, the, look, the bottom line is that state bars, you know, it's like it's the same as any kind of state versus federal argument. You know, like states are going to retain their power and they're not interested in giving it up. And that's really, to me, that's the underlying block in, in making changes to 5.5. 
Well, I think that kind of brings us to our next question, which is, if you would like to practice in a state where you're not barred, what advice would you give then? I would first tell them to really consider a solely federal practice area, because if you're barred in any state, the rules allow you to practice in any state if you're barred in a single state. So that's my first suggestion. The other one is, if you're just doing it temporary, you can always look at Pro Hoc Vitae rules. Now, I think they're pretty old-fashioned and not super helpful, uh, but they often work for, for folks. And then uh, there are some special rules that have been coming out for spouses of military who uh, move so fast that they really can't use reciprocity to get into another state. So if you qualify for those very small little exceptions, that might work too. You know, I think, I think for charities focus, which is usually Im- immigration law, right? Like yep. your association, you know, that's more geared toward, uh, it's more geared toward federal. So when you're looking at other types of practices in which it's a much more competitive environment in a market, they're a lot more territorial, a lot more provincial. And I often tell firms too, like you can't, like on the, when, you're, when you're soliciting or marketing toward to getting new business, you can't count on pro hoc to get you, you know, to get you admitted. Like you can't market based on the idea that you will be admitted pro hoc. You have to have another solution. Right, you have to be authorized to practice there, right. not just I will, if I get the business. Right, yeah, then I'll do it. <laughs> Ask them nicely. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> so in terms of state bars, what are the various state bars saying about multi-jurisdictional practice? I know we mentioned a few different state bar opinions. Are you seeing a trend moving in support, moving against it? What are you saying out there? Well, I think we're of two different minds here because I am always of the theory that it's going to happen someday. They're going to change 5.5 and finally our license is going to be like a driver's license and we'll be able to practice anywhere. And I'm sure you say not so much. We have some states doing some things and some states doing others. Again, it's just like, you know, when when I'm talking to various state bars and the leadership there, again, they're not really interested in giving up any of their authority. Um, and so, you know, I, I think I think they'd have to be almost pressured by other sources to to allow it. And and you know, and maybe maybe the changing landscape of just the legal industry in general, which is more global, more national. You know, like that that might that might you know, for example, let's say for example, like I live in New Jersey, I'm not licensed there, but say for example. In New Jersey, they're like, well, we're not giving up any of our authority, right? Me, but then there are a bunch of lawyers in New Jersey that are getting clobbered by, by, by national firms that are ta- eating their lunch, okay? And then they might go back to their bar and go like, you know, like, you know I'm getting killed here. Like, we've got to be able to practice everywhere. And that's how maybe you would be able to push it, push the envelope a little bit. Yeah, Micah, I think you're absolutely right in that because... I think what actually really changes this is what the clients say they want. And you see exceptions in many of the states in the 5.5 rules. And just the variety of the different 5.5s shows you the tension. But a really common exemption is for in-house counsel. And that's because businesses have the lawyers that they want to use. And they're saying, these are the lawyers that I want to hire. So why would I hire somebody else? And they kind of force the issue. But you especially see it in like tiny states next to very big states that they're like particularly up friendly 
made me chuckle when you said New Jersey. It's one of those that says, we have Pennsylvania and New York next to us, and we do not want their lawyers. And North Carolina is the same way. There's a couple others that they fought really hard to not have new lawyers. And then you do have sometimes the courts come in and bless the Supreme Court for Florida v. Sperry, which is really the case that permits all those fe federal practitioners to practice in any state, because I think that state wouldn't have not wanted them if it hadn't been that they have to take them now. So if you're an attorney and you want to look for more ways to get versatility out of your law license in terms of geographical reach, what are some suggestions that you have for attorneys or law students thinking about this right now? Well, I mean, you know, obviously the, the dumb answer is like, go get licensed other places, uh, make yourself more valuable. But the uh, reality is like, usually it's law firms teaming with other firms that then can be local counsel, whereas you're still retaining the work and you're still doing it, but you have a local firm that's on there. And then going back to, you know, you, you were just referencing like, you know, some of the, where states are located, like, you know, New York still maintains that you got to have a live body in a live office in New York in order to say that you have a New York office. And so like, that's an archaic rule that goes again in pretty much the opposite direction of the MSJ concept because places like New York, places like Florida, you know, they don't want to make it easy for you to be able to practice law in their state. I think that New York actually just overturned their bona fide office requirement. I, um, we're going to have to go look at that before our presentation. <laughs> you know, we better look at it because that's the way it was as far as I knew last week. Because I was dealing with a firm that, you know, like they was start like they were starting a New York office. And they were yeah. still that and that was actually one of the few places that had it. Like New Jersey used to have it and they, they removed it. It's a super big hassle for attorneys. Even attorneys that are barred in New York. It's a really big hassle. And it is, it's archaic and it doesn't make any sense anymore. My take too is a little bit of personal responsibility of really understanding the jurisdictions that are possible and before you get licensed, really deciding where you want to land. Because you could end up locked into a jurisdiction that isn't, doesn't even have good reciprocity rules, which is really common. There's a lot of them that, there's this assumption you're gonna have all this reciprocity with all the states, but all those rules are different and it's a patchwork. And you don't wanna be locked into a jurisdiction that doesn't match your interests or your family or your, you know, goals for the future. And you don't want to do another bar exam. Oh my goodness. At that least I don't. That does not sound fun. <laughs> in terms of attorneys that are doing this and they're crossing straight lines, practicing in different jurisdictions, to sum up, like what advice would you have for them just to make sure that they're compliant on the ethical side as well while they do this? This is especially big with the solicitation, right? Yeah, well, I mean, you have to be especially careful because a lot more, especially with plaintiff's firms, a lot more defense counsel are pointing at that outreach. And so what they're doing is they're looking for unauthorized practice of law accusations that they use in their defense. And they're doing it more and more. So you have to, you know, again, like that's why you have to make sure, you know, that you have, you, you have to have some license tie to the, juris, the, the central jurisdiction. And like I said, like I have firms that are like, oh, well, again, like, I'm just going to get admitted pro hoc vice, and I'm like, that's not how it works. Like, you can't market for a business based on the idea that you're going to get that you that you might or will get admitted that way. And they're really doing that to reduce the competition too. They don't 
want these lawyers. It's usually the other lawyers that are competing that are bringing those claims, aren't they? Oh, yeah, totally. Yeah. You know, so, you know, but but also, again, like, it's a great, you know, it's, it's, a, it's a lever that defense firms have started to use that they didn't really use before. Um, oh. And so they're starting to look at those. There was a case filed in Pennsylvania a couple weeks ago. Dwayne Morris was the defense counsel. And, um, and they basically said this firm that was based in PA, they sent a letter to uh, a potential plaintiff in Kentucky. And so they screamed unauthorized practice of law because nobody had a Kentucky license. And so that letter did not comply with the rules in Kentucky. And so, again, will the argument fly? I don't know. But, uh, but that is the type of way that they've, like, fought back. And there are a lot of firms in the class action space, a lot of defense firms that are now, again, looking at the same things in class actions, you know, like looking for ways to basically bounce out a class action firm that might have invested hundreds of thousands, if not millions of dollars in, in a suit. Uh, only to potentially be knocked out because of uh, lacking a bar license in a particular jurisdiction. Yeah. The other thing that I would say on that, too, is for all practitioners, you really want to understand what jurisdiction you're practicing in. And that sounds like completely obvious, but sometimes you can, even doing things pro bono, think that you're just doing something for a friend and not realize that you're really practicing in a different jurisdiction, or you think you're only practicing a federal practice area, like intellectual property or immigration, but you answer something that is state-specific, and that state-specific answer, while it might just be about a driver's license to you, might be legal advice and might be outside of what you're actually supposed to be doing. So there's a, you know, there's some research that needs to go into how you structure your business and what clients you take that sometimes people skip, I think. Well, thank you both. Um, this has been really informational, and I'm sure that for those attorneys thinking even about practicing across multiple state lines or those that are already doing it, they found this extremely helpful. So it looks like we've reached the end of the road for this episode, and I want to thank our guest for joining us today. Uh, also, thank you to our listeners for tuning in. If you like what you heard, please rate us and review us in Apple Podcast, Spotify, Amazon Music, or your favorite podcasting app. Until next time, I'm Ember Ramey Zlodich, and you've been listening to On the Road with Legal Talk Network. If you'd like more information about what you've heard today, please visit LegalTalkNetwork.com. Subscribe via iTunes and RSS. Find us on Twitter and Facebook, or download our free Legal Talk Network app in Google Play and iTunes. The views expressed by the participants of this program are their own and do not represent the views of, nor are they endorsed by, Legal Talk Network, its officers, directors, employees, agents, representatives, shareholders, and subsidiaries. None of the content should be considered legal advice. As always, consult a lawyer.